Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Aaliyah, and if I was a meme, I'd be that little girl in the yellow jacket who is getting chased, because I always feel like I'm getting chased. Oh no. Um, if I were- I'm Caitlin, and if I were a meme- I'm too old to know most memes, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I'm not on the right not social media. <laughs> what? The only meme I can think of is one does not just whatever to mortar or. I don't oh my gosh, know. that's such an OG meme. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm old. Leave me alone. Okay. Okay. Bye. <laughs> and the meme's old. It, I'm not going to go there. Um, I'm Cameron, and if I was a meme, I am definitely. That photo of the small bat with a person's finger pushing down, and it just says in all caps, no, stop touching me, I am the knight. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's me. There we go. That is freakishly accurate. That is pretty good. To me, for everyone. I'm Kristen, and if I were a meme, I would be the this is fine dog surrounded by the flames. Oh, I do like that one. Yes. Okay, I'm Bridget, and if I was a meme. I don't know. I don't really do memes either, but maybe I would just be a cute baby Yoda meme because I think those ones are cute. Those are oh, excellent ones. Good choice. <laughs> Good choice. <laughs> a big welcome to our guest today, Bridget Howard. Bridget owns the bookstagram account at darkfairytales underscore, that's fairy, F-A-E-R-I-E, which has over 91,000 followers. She is also part owner of Storygram Tours, a bookstagram tour company that has run over a thousand successful Instagram tours. She works closely with publishers like Harper, Little Brown, Disney, Macmillan, Scholastic, Random House, and many more on a weekly basis. Storygram has also run tours for many authors such as Kendara Blake, Carrie Maniscalco, Teresha Levenseller, Adrian Young, and others. Bridget, welcome to the show. We're so thrilled to have you. Thanks. I just realized I didn't send an updated bio because I actually have over 116,000 followers on Instagram now. Not that that really matters, but I just realized that was wrong. So (laughs) I actually looked at it because... No, it matters. (laughs) When you sent it to me, I was like, that's not right. And I went and looked at yours and I was like, well, maybe she wants there to be a margin of error. I don't know. Maybe when you have that big of a following, there's that big of a margin for people to follow her and follow you. But I I don't think so. I just, I copied and... (laughs) pasted it because <laughs> I was like kind of hurrying so I was like copy and paste and then after I sent it I was like crap that's wrong <laughs> I'm like oh well I didn't want to send an update <laughs> <laughs> I'm even cooler than I said yeah. actually storygram tours did um did Instagram tours for my last two books and they were so gorgeous and amazing and beautiful and it was amazing so I love storygram tours thank you and I love Bridget's oh. um Instagram profile it's so fun to follow she's amazing you guys are sweet thank you so clearly we have the expert on today for what we want to talk about which is building an instagram platform so to get us started um with this question most of our audience is made up of unpublished unagented authors can they build social media platforms now and and why should they start building their platforms now Absolutely. I don't I always say that it's never too early or too late to start a social media platform. Um <clears throat> sorry. I personally obviously Bookstagram is is my forte, but you could build it on any social media platform, but the reason I say why you should do it is it's a great way to meet potential readers. It's a great way to re- uh to meet other writers, other readers and a lot of the people in the industry are on social media. They have personal accounts and then they also have all of their 
business accounts and things like that. And it's a great way to actually meet them. I've met lots of agents, lots of, I haven't met as many editors, but I mean, I know a lot of publicists and everyone, and they're all on Instagram. And it's just a great way to meet people. And I, and also if you are just starting out and you're wanting to get an agent or, and, and you know, and be published, if you already have a sense or a platform on social media, that's just another plus, it's just something more you can add to um, getting an agent and getting published. It just makes it one, you're just one step above somebody else. And unfortunately in this type of um, industry, the more steps you can have above others, the better it is. <laughs> I was I was just going to say, I imagine if you can go into a query letter and say, I already have X thousand member audience paying attention to me. That's X thousands of people that, you know, the next person doesn't have. So Well, I mean, and so exactly. much of what publishers do and like the point of a publisher is to be able to put your book in front of a whole lot of people. And so if you make their job really easy because you already have a lot of people who are looking at you, that's I mean, it's an easy sell, right? Exactly. And I will say from my perspective as uh, someone on the acquisitions team at a publisher, it is a thing that we look at. And it, I can't tell you the number of manuscripts where I've been like, look, this one's great. And the person I take it to is like, well, like, does anybody know them? And a lot of times if the answer is yes, it's a big step up. And occasionally if the answer is no, it's a slight step down. So it does matter. I don't know if that's the case for bigger publishers, but at a little one like mine, it it does matter. I think it probably also has to do with, I know you don't just do um, nonfiction, but with nonfiction, you absolutely exactly. have to have a platform before you do anything. So, yeah, um, with fiction, it's, I mean, it's a big, huge plus. Agreed. So, but it's not necessarily <laughs> required. I definitely didn't have a social media presence. I actually still don't have a huge social media presence. So there you go. <laughs> Bridget, how did you start doing, how did you start your page and how did you grow it? Oh, so it's kind of funny. So I actually was a book blogger before I did Bookstagram. And I'd already kind of been, you know, in the community for a couple of years. And, but book blog, it wasn't necessarily dying. It was just so time consuming. And I was just having a hard time staying committed to it. And my best friend, who's also my business partner, is Kristen from My Friends Are Fiction. She owns Storygram Tours with me. I went to TLA, I think it was four years ago, and she had just started Bookstagram and told me all about it. And she's like, you should join. And I was like, okay. You know, so I decided to join. And I just, I found a huge passion because I've always been a big reader, obviously. I was a book blogger. I was a reader since I was a kid. But being able to combine that with a my creative side by using photography and I'm not a photographer just FYI you don't have to be a photographer to join Instagram because I'm really am not but being able to just like combine those was it just like clicked for me and it was such a passion for me and luckily I guess I had a talent for it so I did get noticed and it did help me grow my page. It is a little different now because the community I think is a little bit bigger so it's a little harder to get noticed but that doesn't mean that you can't start out and grow your platform. There's so many different ways and outlets to grow it and uh, but yeah so that I just kind of just started posting. I posted a lot. I actually posted four times a day when I first started which that you don't need to do that, but that is what I did. And now I only post one or two times a day, but 
I did, I posted four times a day probably for like two years, which is crazy. Oh my goodness. I know, right? That is intense. <laughs> so, and, but I do think it helped me get noticed and, um, and I, I made so many friends and discovered so many books and there's just, it, it's a large community and it's, it's awesome. I love it. I was, so what, like, what sorts of things were you posting? And did, and did that change as you gained traction? Um, I've always posted just about books. If you, <laughs> if you look at my page, it's, there's so many different ways to feature books, but I mean, I would do, there's book stacks, there's book you know, shelfy pictures, or I'd feature a, one particular book. I also, there's a thing, so there's a lot of businesses that are bookish businesses that run through Instagram, like Alcrate, Fairy Loot, Candle Companies, I mean, so many different ones, and they all have reps, right? <laughs> so at one point, I was a rep for way too many companies, which is, but I mean, it, it was fun, and I so I would post a lot of rep pictures, too, was it's a lot of bookish merchandise. Um, now I've, I've obviously cut it way down. I only rep for a couple of different companies that I've been with for years. Uh, but there's there's lots of different content on Bookstagram and lots of different uh, business outlets. Like even if you're not going to do necessarily become an author, let's say, you know, there's so many different business outlets on through Bookstagram. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> It's true. I see so many like book boxes and like you said, candles and like lots of other other things that go off. There's so many different things that you can sell and related um, related to books. But um, if you're just starting out now, what do you recommend people do if they're just trying to start um, an Instagram profile? Okay, so obviously sign up, pick a name. If you are wanting to do uh, like an author account, I would suggest doing it as your author name just because then it's more recognizable. If that's not available, then you can play with it and do something else. But it just makes it easier to find you on social media if you use your author, author name. And then what I always say is stick to your strengths. If you're, if you're not good at photography, you can take extremely simple pictures and have a really good caption. If you're funny, do funny captions. People love that. If you're like to do kind of an inspirational type of thing, post inspirational captions. If you want to do writing advice or reviews, whatever it is you, you want to do, kind of pick and stick to your strengths. Um, I am not funny. So I don't usually try to do funny captions because they don't ever work out in my favor. So I usually just talk about, I'm not, I'm just not good at that kind of, I'm not a witty. I wish I was. My husband's super witty and I'm just not. And, but, so usually my captions are, I usually ask a question. That's how I like engage my audience is I usually ask some sort of question that's bookish related and then I'll kind of go into whatever the picture is that I'm featuring. Unless it, my caption has, sometimes my caption has nothing to do with my picture, but that's usually only if I like post like a shelfie or something like that, then you can kind of write whatever caption you want. Um, but I think that that's, yeah, stick, that's like the main thing I would say is stick to your strengths and stick to stuff you love because it will resonate with somebody. So is it important to stick to like one or two things on a business profile or how do you handle that so that it seems kind of like... It's the same kind of content all the time. Or is that important? I mean, what do you mean? Like, are you meaning to stick to bookish stuff? Because I, I mean, I would stick, 
like if you're going to be a bookish account, I would stick to bookish type of things. You don't have to, but I have found that if people try to venture out, it's a little harder um, to do a whole bunch of different type of things. So it, if you're wanting to do an author account or a bookstagram account, I would stick mostly to posting bookish content. Because I feel that if you don't have a, a sort of lane and you kind of are lost, then you don't really... You can't really find your people in your community. Like, definitely find accounts that are what you want to post and what you want to interact with. And follow those accounts and interact with those accounts because that's where you're going to find your lane, I guess I could say, you'd say. So I have a question then. Um, you've mentioned interacting with other people's posts quite a bit. Would you say that posting on your own, um, you know, your own story, your own page is more important than interacting with others or do they work hand in hand? Oh, they definitely work hand in hand. You're, you're going to want to have your own content, obviously, for people to engage with you, but you definitely want to go and engage because that is how you're going to get noticed. Like I find most of the new accounts I follow by people who like me leave meaningful comments on my posts. I, and especially if they continue to leave meaningful comments, I will go and look at their page. And if it's something that I'm interested, I will give them a follow back. And I feel like that's like one of the best ways to find meaningful connections, um, on Instagram. And I think that that, cause I mean, there's a lot of other things you can do to grow followers and a lot of hacks and things like that. And none of those are really what you're going to want because it's not a real relationship. And if you're wanting to grow your readership or grow, you know, friends, whatever, you're going to want to actually find people who want to engage with you. Well, that's one of the things I really like that you said that a big part of social media is being able to connect with people who you don't necessarily have access to otherwise. Like it's not like you sit next to an agent at lunch or you can go to the grocery store and, you know, hang out with a bunch of authors or whatever. Maybe that's I sound old right now because that's where I interact with people at the grocery store. That's right. <laughs> Not really. What a thrilling. <laughs> I mean, we all interact with people at the grocery store right now. So that's you know, the big social outing of the week. <laughs> it's true. True. But what I mean to say is you can't always go to um, conferences or you can't always have access to people who are usually behind like a a publishing wall <laughs> unless they have a reason to talk to you online and networking just like in any other job because writing is a job is so important and so if you send in a query and then you stick on your your handle and they're like oh I know this person and I've talked to them before it's gonna also give you a leg up exactly so how can you tell if the posts that you're making are effective okay so definitely have a creator or business account because Instagram has insights and if you go, I can't show you because it's hard to explain through, uh, but if you look at the insights you and learn to navigate them, I did this through the Storymaker Conference. I actually showed how to look at my insights, but there is different ways to like, depending on what type, what you want your posts to um, accomplish, there's different insights on there. You can see how many comments we're on a post. You can see how many likes were on a post. You can see how many times a post was saved. You can see how many times a post was shared. You, you can do all of these things and you can see all of your posts um, and it'll tell you which ones had the most comments. It'll tell you, which they're not always the same. My, my most commented posts aren't my most liked posts and my most saved posts aren't necessarily my most liked posts. Like it's, so 
you can go under your insight and actually select what uh, you're wanting to accomplish and you can see which pitchers got the highest in that and then you can kind of go from there to see how to create content and how to create what you're wanting to accomplish with a, a specific post. I obviously know very little about Instagram, so I had no idea that was a thing you could do. <laughs> yep. I'm more of a Twitter person myself. We're about out of time for this portion of the podcast, but before we move on, um, what are some other tips you could give us that would help starting out authors or unagented authors um, start to successfully build their own social media platforms? Do you have any other tips for us? You know, be, besides, like, I always just say, post what you love too. That's like one of my big things is if you post something you love and something that you're passionate about, other people are going to be passionate about it too. If you're genuine, people will know and they can tell. So I think that that's where social media is such a great thing is that you can find your own people wherever they are. I know, I know you said we needed to move on, but can't we talk about hashtags real quick? Because I know they frighten me. Okay. Um, yeah, no problem. I can give you just a few tips on hashtags. Um, with Instagram, you cannot post more than 30 hashtags on a post. Just FYI, that is a rule. It will block you if you try to post more than that. It won't let you won't like post your caption. So just FYI, not more than 30 tags. It does not matter if it's in your caption or in your comments. They're both vice versa. It doesn't matter. Just don't post more than 30. And Make sure that you're posting relevant hashtags to whatever you're posting, but within that, a that's a very wide um, span. So, like when I post, like let's say it's like a cozy, warm picture with a sweater and a cup of coffee and a book, I can post all types of home decor type of hashtags too because I'm still hitting that. And that's just another way you can hit other people. But don't post something, don't post like Star Wars on a cozy picture type of, you know, like don't do a hashtag that's not relevant. But but also experiment with hashtags and do a bunch of different ones that are not just bookish because then you'll hit other people outside of the bookish community. Awesome. Well, now we'll go ahead and move on to the next portion of our podcast where we critique and run a model writing group on an audience submission. A quick review of how we like to critique, we try to be non-prescriptive. But if you'd like to check out the text of this submission for yourself and see all of our notes, you can view it on our website, litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation. If you would like a first chapter critique from us, you can find our submission guidelines there. So, a summary of this week's chapter. In post-apocalyptic America, a girl finds a map to her, her ancestral homelands, dreaming of one day leaving her agricultural life behind, but tragedy for her family is just around the corner. So, what are some things we liked about this week's chapter? Um, I thought that the idea was really intriguing, and I loved the dynamics we got to see with her family, like, further on in the chapter. I thought that that was really fun, and I thought the ending was really strong. like like the cliffhanger ending. I was like, that was strong. It actually, I was interested in reading more. So those were my parts I liked the best out of it. I really liked the family dynamics as well. And I also really liked the the promise of what was coming next. I would have read more for sure. I also really loved the first line. I mean, that's something I think we're going to talk about again later, but um, it's, I of course don't have it pulled up, but it says it took three months of mucking out stalls for it to convince the man to sell her the map or something like that but so we've got like this immediate something this girl wants and she has to work really hard to get it so I'm super intrigued about her and why she wants it and also about the map itself 
I think there was some great sprinkling of uh, details throughout here. Uh, one that I think a couple of us said we liked is um, the 2096 Farmer's Almanac, which I think is a very nice way to tell you when the book is taking place, but also what sort of future we're living in. Because in most post-apocalyptic books, I don't know if you have farmer's al almanacs anymore and that it's such a relevant detail to her life, I think is a really cool way to get us some character information. I actually, in particular, I really like the structure of that sentence where those details are dropped. Because first we get synthetic fertilizer, which is like, whatever, we've got that. Solar-powered wire. Not quite sure what that is. That sounds kind of future tech. And then we get the 2096 farmer's almanac. Like, oh, this is... This is 70 years from now. And I, yeah, anyway, I like that, that zooming in. I thought there was some really good showing, not telling, especially at the end. Um, I don't know if this is a spoiler, but there's, there's the cr this crash their family's involved in. Um, and each of the family members has a different reaction. The main character throws out her arm to save her little sister and her older brother does the same thing. And like mom's reaching to grab everybody. Um, I thought that told a lot about their characters. I enjoyed seeing that. I think similarly, just the family dynamics in general, there were some things I really liked about that. There's a little bit of good-natured family banter um, in there where her brother is saying, it's going to take more than a year of college to wash the casting out of my clothes. And his mom's like, yeah, because you never wash your laundry. It's going to take longer than that, which I thought was a nice sort of real detail that I think most people in a family like this would have had experience with. It, it felt relatable. If we're good to move on, what are some things about the submission that might need a second look? I, okay, so I had a little bit of a hard time um, with the first couple pages. I was a little confused about what was going on and just like the bearings, like the voice wasn't super clear to me and it was just a little hard to connect. Like, I don't know if it just, the way she was trying to explain it, I'm not sure. I just, I struggled a little bit with those first couple of pages before I really got to like understand what was going on. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Because um, like we all, we all liked the first sentence, I think, but unfortunately there's something of a disconnect between, because the first sentence kind of sums up what's about to happen with the map, except that that's not what happens. It says she had to work for months to get it, except in the actual like replay as we're getting the, the beats as it happened, she, she, asks for it and the guy just hands it to her so i'm not i'm not quite sure if we got some draft mix-up going on or whatever but i it's, agree yeah, it's a problem there too i mean that was the thing that i was super excited about because it said so much about the character and it said so much about the map and what was important and then i just found out that her three months of waiting was just because she was too shy to ask for it and that actually and like all of the tension just kind of bled out when i was like oh this isn't a a big deal even though there've been there's so much feeling and like so much tension attached to it at the beginning and i actually think that kind of goes along with some of my other comments where i feel like we get details backwards a little bit i i feel uh the scotland um part was really intriguing to me when we were first reading about it i wanted to it felt like a mystery i wanted to know why she was so into scotland i wanted to know why this map was so important and because it comes first, I felt like it would carry a little bit of weight throughout the submission, but instead it sort of disappeared. And I think that's a question that um, I would need answered a little bit sooner or at least um, hinted at because we don't even really have a hint, a hint about why it's so important. Yeah, I, I agree. The The map is kind of the first 
hook for this is what the book's going to be about, but it vanishes almost as soon as it's introduced. So that's kind of weird. My major note on the beginning um, kind of has to do with that disconnect feeling, um, but also maybe the details coming in an order I wasn't expecting. Um, so, so the submission starts out with the, the, the <laughs> submission starts out with the main character being referred to as she, which is kind of a, a style thing we see in fairy tales, you know, the generic she, which, which it can be done really well. But since we didn't get the main character's name until a lot farther down the page and we didn't start to see who her family was until after they'd already been referred to as they a couple times, it, it made me have a really hard time feeling grounded. That was that was the biggest thing that um, raised a flag for me while I was reading too, just because that lack of grounding is, for me, it was related to a fact that I didn't know how close the perspective is to Sky. Um, parts of it feel really, really close and intimate and like we're right in Sky's head. Um, but the fact that we don't know her name immediately, the fact that we don't get reactions from her to some things that I would like to see a reaction to made it so it felt distant in a way that made it a little hard to um, maybe care as much as I would have liked to. For instance, there's a part where the man in the shop says something really mysterious, like, it's important to know where you're from, what you're made up of. And as I kept reading, it became clear that sort of seemed like a theme because Sky wants to get away um, from the city so bad. But in the moment, it struck me as a really strange thing for him to say. And I was hoping to get some sort of reaction from Sky there to see if she thought it was weird, if that was normal, what she thought about it. And we don't really get anything from her. Yeah, in those first couple of paragraphs, I feel like there are lots of opportunities that are maybe missed, especially since I feel like the details that we're looking for are then provided a little bit later in the chapter instead of right at the beginning. And in your first couple of paragraphs, that is when you're hooking your reader. That is when you're like bringing people in. And if and if you skip over things like an emotional reaction to, let me read it because Kristen actually wrote it down. <laughs> uh the the it's important to know what you're from uh, where you're from and what you're made up of i also feel like that was a theme that started to develop especially when she starts looking at her dad and thinking i don't want to be like that i don't want to be like my sister who's just going to get married and and die in rags and like have children and be completely unsuited for this life that she has those are such powerful details and such a powerful feeling that i think a lot of people can relate to even not even if it's not the specifics a lot of people are like i am not doing the thing that i want to or i would like something bigger. That's a really easy thing to draw people in with. And if we get those details, sorry, I'm being prescriptive, right in the first couple of paragraphs, <laughs> what you could do possibly is maybe. <laughs> what what I'm trying to say is um, because it's so distant at the beginning, but then it becomes so much more close later, I feel like it's it's a missed opportunity at the beginning where we don't get the details at the time where it's going to hook people. It's It's later where a lot of readers might have already stopped reading. We're about out of time. Does anyone have any final comments? Yes, we have to talk about the second to last paragraph. Good point. <laughs> so so this is after the crash. It reads, If the enforcers beat the medics out before she bled to death, it would be over soon. They'd come and they'd do the pleasure and her and the noise. For me, that was absolutely the most interesting thing in the entire submission. And we don't get any we don't get it until the second to last paragraph. So I think if I'm gonna be a little bit prescriptive, I would have loved to have some more foreshadowing of whatever these enforcers are earlier and just a little bit more because it seems to me like they're a great source of tension that you could have been 
building off of the entire time, but we don't get it till page 10. Well, I, I absolutely agree, actually, because not only is that really interesting, because if they are like leaving their tiny town to go to the big city and everybody is so excited and happy, except for the dad, who's kind of like, man, I'm doing this just because my family wants to go, which is fine. Like, it's a very happy little family scene. But if there are like police officers that are going to come and eat you if you like get into a car accident I would feel a little bit nervous about that leaving I mean I would (laughs) maybe this is all just me projecting onto it but like adding tension in where you can especially if it's something like that that is going to come to pass like when I got to the police officers who who whatever it is the line they hurt people or they they end people I guess who get into car accidents it sounds like or maybe it's not even police officers it just says enforcers if that's an issue I mean, that's something that I would love to have known about beforehand so that when it happens, when she finally gets into her accident, I want to be scared of it before even she's scared of it because I'll already know. Yeah, I think um, part of this goes back to the 2076, whatever year it is, Almanac. Almanac, sorry, I can't speak. Uh, 96. Um, Because to me, that was such a strong detail of the sort of future we're in. And I was thinking like, oh, solar punk, we're back to like, Farming, I, I don't know. I was thinking something very different than there is a tyrannical government that is going to kill you. And so for me, it felt like a disconnect. So I'll agree with everything already said that a little bit of foreshadowing that these mega cities have absolutely terrifying enforcers who I don't know if they want to kill people or if that's just their job, but or if it's it like would be looters nice who are bit. taking pieces or well, especially because them. she's so desperate to get to a mega city and to live there and. This feels like a really big con in that plan. And I kind of want to know how she rationalizes or thinks about it. Sorry, at the very beginning, I was confused if I thought it was a fantasy. Like that first sentence to me was like, this is fantasy. And I kept reading and I'm like, this is not fantasy. And like, so I was confused. That's a part of the confusing is the setting wasn't, I feel like if she had kind of started more, were introducing that it was a sci-fi like set in our world, I think it would have made it a little easier um, for me to like understand where it was taking place too. I think that just confused me a little bit, but maybe it was just me. Any other final notes? I did just want to say along with the POV thing, I feel like this is a classic, like if this story has a lot of points of view and you're trying to get like a farther back sort of idea of what's going on where you're going to jump from different character to different character to just get a really big picture then having a distant pov is great but if this is a really character driven internal story then you might want to look at making it as a slightly deeper pov which means that you're supposed to be looking at it really really close from your character's perspective so that you experience it at the same time your character does so like as things are said to her she experiences emotional reactions in the moment and it's less analytical i guess so it's just something to think about that's the most yeah. prescriptive advice of all. <laughs> well, I would just, as I think either option is right as long as you do it consistently. So yeah. that's slightly less prescriptive. <laughs> there you go. Well, to this author, thank you so much for submitting. We enjoyed reading your work. And Bridget, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It was great to have you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Be sure to check out Storygram Tours and Dark Fairy Tale underscore. Seriously, I'm looking at them right now, and they're unbelievably beautiful. I wish I could take pictures like that. Gorgeous, gorgeous photos. Our next guests will be Samantha Hastings, author of The Last Word and the Invention of Sophie Carter. If you'd like a first chapter critique from her, check out our submission guidelines and get us your work by June 18th. 
Thank you to our intern, Lindsay Owens, and Alan Sangster, who's our sound designer. If you want to ask us questions, tell us we're awesome, or whine about how your writing is going, you can find us on social media or email us at litservicepodcast at gmail.com. Please remember to like, share, and review the podcast. It helps us grow. For Lit Service, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>